Welcome, everybody, to an awesome episode of Emo Over Easy, because I'm sitting in the sun of San Diego right now here with Drew and a very special guest, someone who I have looked up to for a long time on the internet and finally met him in person. He's interwebs. Just, interwebs. <laughs> yes. He is just as amazing on the interwebs as he is in real life. Jeff Riddell. Thanks for coming on, man. It is a pleasure to be here with you gentlemen. This is awesome. So you, I mean, you're a guru of many things, but today the topic we're kind of going into, it's the education side of things, which is very up your alley. Um, why don't you just give us a brief summary of what you are interested in? I'm interested in uh, women. No. <laughs> Wine. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm sorry. I've been married for 10 years. That's not, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm taken. Uh, no, I'm interested in uh, teaching and learning through the lens of digital technology. And so I spend most of my time reading, thinking, tweeting, talking about how to use technology in medical education, and whether we should be using it, how to use it, how to optimize it, what works, what doesn't, why, those kind of things. Um, so that's that's one thing I'm way into. And then I don't really research it as much, but I love working with the residents and mentoring them and hanging out with our residency staff and um, kind of doing the behind-the-scenes stuff as well. You did a teaching fellowship, correct? I did a fellowship, a two-year fellowship in education research. Education research. So oh, well beyond yeah. a teaching fellowship. I did a lot of teaching, and we learned a lot of teaching, um, and learned how to study it, which is another step, I think. <laughs> I helped co-direct the uh, educational fellowship at LA County USC, um, and, and uh, help our fellows become great teachers, and study teaching, and teach teaching, and all that stuff. What's your favorite part about teaching? That's a great question. I love it when I see the light bulb go off and that, you know, it's kind of a generic answer because that can happen in a lot of contexts that can happen when you're lecturing or doing a group group thing and you see someone like get it all of a sudden and they're like, Oh my gosh. And it inspires them. But you also see it clinically when you kind of help residents to make a connection or med students to make a connection between things. Um, and like all of a sudden the light bulb goes and you, you get that they get it. And that's really a satisfying thing. I love that. I like that. That that is truly one of those moments that is, you know, the the student, the learner, they're inspired. They're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But from the teacher standpoint, that's just as good. Yeah, you like go around the corner and like start like yes. just fist pumping totally and like high fiving yourself. Totally where the payoff is, and you don't want the learner to see it because you're like, yeah, I've been there before. Like, I <laughs> act like you've done that before, you know. Um, but yeah, that's finally those are, somebody. Those are the best. And it's like I'll even go to like another zone. We have a big ED with like five attendings working at one time, so I'll go to another area. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I just did this. And then she did this. And I was like, yes. Let's celebrate. Yes. Boom. Mic drop. It's awesome. So one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today is to talk a little bit about on-shift teaching, something that you're pretty passionate about. And we're going to go well beyond the standard talk about on-shift teaching, which is we're not going to talk about the uh, one-minute preceptor and maybe posted pearls and some of those other things that has been out there a lot because you think that that's only a small part of the true on-shift teaching environment that we have yeah so uh like those talks are great and i think those those techniques are helpful um for early teachers to have a framework for how to approach you know a case presentation but i think they miss like 90 percent of the of the important things that we can and should do on shift to connect with our learners and make sure that they're learning and so my mind was blown in 2015 uh summer Tilio and glenn regare published a paper um about the educational alliance and 
um, my fellowship director kind of had us read this for one of our things. And I was like nodding the whole time and my mind was totally blown. And they followed that up in 2016 with another paper about the educational alliance in the setting of feedback. And essentially what they argue is that just like the therapeutic alliance in psychotherapy that, that has been shown to be the most predictive of uh, therapy outcomes is the alliance at the, between the therapist and the therapy, therapist, thera, thera therapist, they're a subject. Anyway, uh, it, and they argue, they argue that it's the same for education and that the educational alliance between the teacher and the learner has a significant outcome on how the learner decides to learn during that shift and specifically how, how the learner decides whether they believe what you're talking about or not. And so that paper kind of validated for me from a research standpoint what I'd felt all along. Mm -hmm. That we spend so much time talking about the techniques to use and the, the ways that we probe for critical thinking. And we don't spend enough time talking about how to cultivate the relationship and the learning environment that allows for meaningful uh, learning experiences to happen. And so that's like my most recent soapbox uh, is talking about this educational alliance and the learning environment. I, I think that is a fantastic thought process because that's something that I also feel innately is is very important and one of those things that I have done over the course of time the last you know several years with students residents whatever I'm whoever I'm supposed to be quote unquote teaching is the first thing I do is try to get to know the person if you don't know who they are what their goals are what their desires how are you supposed to teach them appropriately and, and make them buy into what you're talking about so I, I love this concept and that has to go far beyond the conversation that I hear so many attendings and residents have as I'm coming onto or off of the shift. Hey, what do you want to work on today? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, like, I can't stand that question. That question, I, I don't ask it, right? Because it brings, it's like a cringe. Well, I want to work on efficiency. I want to work on managing fractures better. Well, I don't know if we're going to get a fracture today. Like, I can't, I can't help you with that. I want to run cardiac arrest better. Okay, well, I mean, I would love to run a cardiac arrest better too myself, but I, I can't provide that for you necessarily. And nine times out of ten, when you ask them that, they're like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying to survive yeah. third year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd like to get through this shift alive. Ninety percent of the times, I want to work on efficiency. I mean, because it's yeah. like the easy answer. You know, like I want to, I want to see one more patient today. I want to do. Yeah. So, how do we move beyond that and and truly connect with with our learner and figure out like what it is that we're actually working on? Yeah. So the research on this would show that there's a couple things that really matter, and one of them is the perceived presence of the learner in the mind of the teacher. And so what you need to do is ask questions or talk to them or communicate in a way that they think that you care about them as a human and that you care about their educational trajectory. So it's not just asking their name and using their name so that you know how to yell at them, but that they get the sense that you care about who they are. I ask them where they're from. I ask almost everybody where they're from, and I try to connect with them about their hometown. I ask them where they are in the rotation or in the arc of their year to get a sense of what they might be learning or what they might be going through. Uh, I ask them how the rotation's going. I ask them where they're staying in town, Airbnb, whatever. All of these things so that they get an iota of a sense that I care about them as a human being. Um, and when they believe that I care about them as a human being, they're much more receptive to what I have to say. And I guess the second point is getting them to, to convince them that I care about their educational trajectory and that I want them to succeed as a physician, that's a little bit harder because you can't just like, you know, shoot the breeze with them to get to that point. Um, open to your ideas about that. I have some ideas too, but. Well, I think part of that is 
you know, exactly what you just said, like get to know them as a person because once they realize that you are more than just another figurehead trying to get them along the process so that they can graduate and do what they're supposed to do, quote unquote, and they realize you actually have buy-in to them as a, as a human, that alone opens so many more doors. I, I specifically over the last year, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a traditional academic center, but occasionally I do have students, whether it's a resident or a medical student. And the, the ability to take that very small interaction and turn it into something productive for that person is, is, is difficult. But if, if you do it right, it, it can last for a long time. Totally agree. I, the, the thing I struggle with the most, and I think is, is what you're getting at, Jeff, is that connection on a shift. So with residents, especially my, my emergency medicine residents, that connection is there. Maybe not the first couple shifts we work together when they're interns, but we develop that over time. Even events like this, I mean, we have eight to 10 of my residents are, are here at ASAP. We'll go grab drinks. We'll travel to and from the conference together. We'll, you know, you, so you get to know them outside. You get to know them as a person. It makes that conversation in the ED so much easier. But that's a linear thing that happens over time because there's multiple shifts. I might only work with a student or an off-service intern once in the department during the block that they're there because my schedule, their schedule, this doesn't match up. And I'm sure you're the same way. And now I have to have that same type of relationship building, but I have to do it in such an express fashion. Yeah. That, that how do you go from, hey, I'm Drew. Yeah. I'm going to be your attending for the next four, six, eight hours, whatever the shift ends up being that we have the overlap. Who are you? Yeah. And, and then 30 seconds later, talk about a patient, try to make it educational, fill them with what they need. Because you might be talking to an anesthesia resident, you might be talking to a surgical resident, or the student that is trying to do emergency medicine, or maybe at the second half of the year, somebody who has no interest in emergency medicine whatsoever, but is there because they have to do their emergency medicine third year clerkship. Yeah, it's like speed dating, right? Except instead mm -hmm. of like, you know, trying to get someone to go home with you after like three hours of dinner, you can, you have eight hours. So it's like, <laughs> well, it's like, easy. Yeah, it's like way easier. It is like or over double. It's exponentially harder because now you've spent eight hours with me. Yeah, and you're like, I, I can't no fake way. it. I can't fake it anymore. <laughs> so, and the I wine's only, worn I off in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think, <clears throat> I think there's a few things that I do. And, and the way that I think about it is almost, Ironically, not to use the same double entendre, but to almost build the credibility at, throughout the shift to the climax at the end, yeah. which is generally, a like for me, is a feedback session. And so what I care about is the teaching that happens along the way. Yes, like, hey, here's some pearls about CHF or some pearls about that laceration that you just repaired. But I think what's ultimately more important is that toward the end of the shift, we can talk about when, not at the very end, but... Um, sometime after building that credibility over six plus hours, you then can have a, have a pretty serious feedback conversation with that student and say like, here's some things you did well and here's some things you didn't do well. And I find that that, at least they tell me, who knows, that that is way more valuable to them in their kind of arc of professional development than the specific learning pearls about this or that. They do appreciate those pearls, obviously, um, but they like being pulled aside at the end and saying, hey, here's what you can work on. And I've found that they really are receptive to that. Maybe they're faking it because they're applying to our program. But um, <laughs> so, so I think of the preceding six plus hours as I'm laying the groundwork so that when I have a more difficult conversation, maybe difficult, maybe easy, later, they believe me. And so like things that I do throughout that time, one of the biggest things, just a practical tip, just 
take your hand off the mouse, like look away from the computer and like physically turn and listen to them when they're, when they're presenting. Look them in the eye. Oh my gosh. Like it makes them feel like a human being, right? I mean, you guys were residents very recently. You're presenting to attending. They start looking at the labs. They're not even listening to you. You're like, son of a beep. I don't know if you guys. That's yeah. such a good point. And so, <laughs> no, it's like, absolutely true. In my mind, I just want to look at the labs and the vitals because I don't really care what they say. But I do care. And I care about them. Yeah. And so to stop and I force myself to turn away because if, if I'm anywhere pointed like at all near the screen, I'll be like <laughs> yeah. looking out the side of my wait, eyes toward wait, it. Wait. What did the triage notes say about that? I got it. And so that is, that's one thing that I do to try to build that like, hey, I care about you as a doctor. So I'm going to listen to what you're saying in your presentation. And sometimes it's brutal. Oh, sometimes they're great. Um, but that's something that I do to try to start building that. And if I do that several times as they present over several hours, and each time I stop and look and listen to them, I feel like when I talk to them at the end, I have credibility with them. Can I ask for my... This is really for my benefit. Maybe some other listeners out there You're will... You're so selfish. I'm so selfish. Do you want a formal presentation when you hear about patients? It depends. <laughs> so I, work, I worked yesterday in a high acuity area, and... I try, it's not always, but sometimes I go see the patients before the residents right. present them. And it's like, you know, getting toward the toward the end of your shift. And so a couple times I just turn to the resident and be like, hey, what do you want to do with that guy in five? And they'd be like, oh, he's a so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, no, I saw him. What do you want to do? And it just varies. It depends. With the medical student, I want to hear the whole thing because sure. I want to hear the thought process. With the more senior resident, I'll tell them I already saw the person and we can skip a lot of the stuff once i know they know how to take a h&p i call it the pleasantries right i mean it truly is it's the you, we can just skip through the pleasantries i don't need to know that they have diabetes hypertension hyperlipidemia AC, like like i i know all that already so Let's get it's to the like of the matter. what's your religion what's your political affiliation do you want to have kids and do you want to get married and then, and how then you'll know and then you can right. just like cut it off right but, there right, boom we're Speed done. dating but then yeah. you might you might miss so many adventures i don't know <laughs> no i'm with you i compl yeah. and i completely agree so i i have actually almost have a standing policy with myself that if it is a uh, intern or even most of the second years that I aggressively see the patients before they present to me. Oftentimes I see them before they've seen the patient. Um, and the senior residents, I, I don't care about because I can see them whenever I know what they're going to do. I, I, I trust their workup so they can get two thirds of the way through the process before I get intimately involved in the patient. And typically I have nothing to add or detract from the situation, but and I've actually trained a lot of my residents to. They now ask me, "Have you seen the patient yet?" Because they, because they know, like they know. They're like, "Wait, should so, I bother telling them everything?" Or so, is he so just have like, you seen me? And, and what that has done is it changed the conversation for me. One, I can pay attention because I can't pay attention to a formal presentation without so much energy. I mean, it takes so much effort and energy for me to pay attention to the formal presentation because then we can have a conversation. Yeah, and they can give me a little background, and I let them go a little bit. I'm like, "No, no, I agree. That's that's right." Or, or I got a little bit different story, but I don't think that that changes anything. So now, where do we go from here? I saw your initial workup. What were you thinking when you ordered this test? Or that's interesting. I don't know that I would have done that in that situation. Tell me why why you wanted to do it. And we started to have more specific conversations about the actual patient encounter and the patient workup, which to me is a better experience. And I think the residents, once they get used to the fact that I've already seen the patient, enjoy that a lot more too than that, the formal presentation. I agree a hundred percent with the the conversation making it making it a discussion as opposed to something else. And, and sometimes that's hard to do. You know, I'm coming from a non-academic center 99% of the time. And literally, there has been times where we have all of a sudden created a mini didactic session with the APPs and the nursing staff and the other providers on shift 
because somebody asked a question and I responded with that, you know, my initial answer is this, but what do you think about this? And all of a sudden you notice that people are starting to stop around you and it, and it turns into a, a session where people are, they, they feel safe enough that they can ask questions and not feel stupid, but also right. they're, they're active. They're, they're engaged and being like, oh my gosh, this is actually really good content. Like I could learn from this. Next thing you know, the patient's nurse is actually standing there. Yes. Getting, no, this being, being part exactly. of the conversation. Being like, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm so glad I came and listened to that because now I understand why you're yeah. doing X, Y, and Z. We had, uh, we had a methemoglobinemia case uh, from Poppers, which anyway, we can get into that later. But we started <laughs> talking about these things out loud. And the nurses came up and I actually stopped and I was like, oh, what do you need? How can we help you? He's like, no, 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 I, I'm listening. Tell I'm me listening. more about this. This is, this is really cool. And then, yeah, like you said, there's like six people gathered around. I'm like, I didn't plan this. This is awkward. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not a toxicologist, but. But it's organic it education, organic. Yeah. which is yeah. what, that's when people learn the best is when something grows organically. And, and sometimes we, we forget that, you know, it's not just those medical students or residents that are around us. It's, it's the entire staff is intrigued at what's going on. And even though they may not have the same take or interest, like if you can bring multiple people into one topic, that's. That, that invigorates everybody in general. That's, that's surrounded by the same patient, the same case, whatever it is. And so I actually have a question. Like when, when, you, when you have all of this going on, you're trying to teach, what about the biggest complaint I hear from a lot of people is I don't have the time. How do I make time? How do I make time for this kind of stuff? Yeah, so I've worked in academic environments where I supervise two an hour. And I've worked in academic environments where I supervise like five plus an hour. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've seen it all, but that's, that's a pretty good spectrum. There's quite a spectrum. And there's a couple answers to that. First, I believe that that feedback moment is really, really important. And so I always make time for that and I build to that. And I'll even build to that at the sacrifice of a little mini didactic in the middle of a shift. Because I always take time hopefully an hour, maybe two hours before the end of a shift to pull each resident or med student aside. And I take notes throughout the, um, throughout my shift. So, you know, you have like your piece of paper in your pocket that has like your patient stickers or whatever. I divide my paper into a column for each learner. And I write down things that I want to talk about with them in, the feed, in that feedback session. And so what I'll do, regardless of what's going on at that moment, or if it gets really busy, I'll do it after shift, which is less than ideal because they want to go home. Everyone wants to go home. Um, and I'll have that feedback session with them regardless of how many patients we've been seeing because that's really, really valuable. That's one answer. The other answer is just to do it quickly on each case and make one point about each thing. And I don't, I'm not a big fan, it's just me, I'm not a big fan of like the planned didactic in the middle of whatever where you like pull everyone aside and say, okay, now we're going to come on in the doctor's room, everybody, we're going to talk for 10 minutes based on this PowerPoint I have about you know, fifth metatarsal fractures. Residents like those. I don't because they're not in the setting or the context of a case that the, the learner is seeing actively. It's just kind of in one ear and out the other. Absolutely. And so if it comes up with the learner in the setting of a case they're having, that makes sense for that human, but not the other four humans in that zone. And so I kind of avoid that stuff. And I see all the patients and work as quickly as I can and try to teach with each case. But I really build to that feedback moment either after shift or at the end of shift and there's just no sacrificing that time it's just really valuable to me i think that's awesome because i've never i have never successfully integrated a canned discussion 
on a, on a patient or on a topic in the middle of my shift. It just doesn't work. Some people do it really well. I've seen it happen. Uh, you know, Andy, our, our third co-host, loves Post-it Pearls, and it's amazing that he does successful with so many a diversity of Post-it Pearl topics. I need that patient encounter, encounter to trigger a conversation. I maybe, think, maybe it's just a little bit, right? Like you can, this is a very basic COPD or asthma exacerbation, but we're going to go in and, you know, do the whole, now that was basic all the way up to severe. What if they have to be intubated and, and take it and run the what if kind of conversation. Yeah. And that's great because at least you have a patient in mind, but the, the can conversation is. It always seems like whenever I do that, I'll be like, Oh, let me tell you about this EKG. And I'll like, I haven't prepared a bunch, but like, I know a little bit cause I've been out a few years and then inevitably the resident will be like, Oh yeah. Um, actually Alma was talking about that on his <laughs> thing, blah, blah, blah last week and blah, blah, blah. And they know more than me. Yeah. I just read on Dr. Smith's ECG yeah. blog that, the, and I'm like, well, like, okay, son I of a, I hadn't made it to that yet. And cause you haven't prepared it. Like it's the like, way you would prepare a formal didactic, yeah. I end up getting burned half the time. Absolutely. So maybe cause I'm young. I don't know. What other tricks do you have to make that on shift education go smoothly and successful for you and the, the learner? Yeah, there's one of the there's one other strategy that I use um, that I don't hear people talking about much, but it, it's borrowed from the organizational leadership literature from a book that Ed Shine wrote called Humble Inquiry, and it's it's basically he argues in this book that this this process of humble inquiry where we ask questions in a safe way that we're really genuinely interested in and don't always know the answer to, it creates an environment uh, that's much more amenable to safety and and a whole bunch of organizational CEO type things. But transfer that to the medical education environment, and that's really the, the strategy, as I reflect on this, that I use the most when talking with learners. And there's the, you know, snaps, one minute, get a commitment, and then probe, and this and that. But I just love asking questions, and I really love trying to figure out where the learner's thinking. And I think sometimes they get pissed at me because it takes a while, and they're like, Riddell, enough. What do you want to do? Okay, get the CT. But <laughs> I always ask, okay, what do you want to do? And then I always ask, what do you think's going on? And what do you think's causing this? And I, I try to just use questions that I don't genuinely know the answer to sure. that lead to an open back and forth about all of the possibilities. And then learners will naturally reveal their clinical decision-making and their thought process in a way that's much less kind of, this is my stance and I'm standing here. It's like, oh, this attending is really interested in this patient, really wants to know what's going on. Yeah. And I think they see that genuine interest in these like humbly asking questions without being like a sarcastic soul. Um, and I think they respond to that. And so that's, that's one thing that I think about doing as much as I can. I don't always succeed. Um, but more questions and less talking. The beauty of that, too, is when you truly don't know what's going on with the patient and you're asking those questions, the learner doesn't know the difference between you humbly asking because you have an idea what yeah. you want to do versus I legitimately have no clue what yeah. what are you thinking about the patient because I don't know where to go next with it. It ends up being the same. But then you get to learn from what their thought process is, too. And it takes humility as an attending to admit that and to be like, geez, I don't know. I guess this could go a bunch of ways. Sure. Yeah. And, and then I, I'll, like if, they won't, if they stop talking and I can't get them to answer a question, I'll pause and be like, well... You know, I was in the community. I'd do this here. I might do that. This is an option other people would do. I don't know. What do you want to do? Um, and I think sometimes you have to give in and talk, but most of the time you get really great information from that. What I like about this is that it functions for any level of learner, whether it's a med student, an off-service intern, a senior resident, an APP, you can do this with them and that exercise alone will be educational, 
but also help you figure out what's going on enough that you feel comfortable with how the case is going and things like that. Yeah, because you can pick up the BS pretty quickly, right? Yeah. You start asking them these questions and they're like hedging and like, uh, yeah, uh, did, uh, and you get a pretty good sense like, all right, you're done. I'm going to go see the patient yeah. right now because, yeah. I, I throw out at least two or three times during a shift looking at somebody, I'm, I'm Ron Burgundy? You know, like, okay, so you're going to answer the question or... or it, and, and immediately that, that's only going to work for a few more years, man. Then, then people are going to no. Be too there's young. already there's already students coming <laughs> through that don't know the reference, and there's nurses. When I say, yeah, they need another liter of cola, they have no idea what I'm actually talking about. I would advise that if any learner you have doesn't know those references, you kick them off the shift until they watch those references. Oh, it's it's so hard. But I was so I was on shift yesterday, and I asked a couple of my residents. I was like, hey, I'm going to go do these podcasts with these uh, crack jobs from Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> and. And I said, I said, what is it about my teaching that you, uh, you know, really appreciate? And it was kind of a vulnerable moment. I was like, oh, oh there's going to oh be like God. a long yeah. silence. And it's actually something we should do more often now that I think about it, because it was actually really insightful for me. And she, and, and one of them said to me, she goes, you, you always ask what I want to do. And you ask how I would manage the patient. And that really is meaningful to me. It shows me that you care. And in my mind, I was like, what? I didn't like, I, it's not something people I... People don't do that? I, I guess. But it, it wasn't something that I, you know, I think about this humble inquiry thing, but I don't think of it that intentionally. And so to hear the first thing out of her mouth was, oh, you ask me like what I want to do and, and why I think this and why I think that. And to me, I'm just curious and asking questions, but to her, it validates her as a physician and it shows her that I trust her and respect her. And once again, it builds to that feedback at the end of shift or at the end of a few months. You know, if it's a resident who you know really well, then you can really sit down and say, hey, you know I care about you. You know I respect you as a doctor. I ask for your input. We need to work on this or that or whatever. I think that's awesome. Uh, a, a great place to leave conversation one. Hopefully, we're going to have a chance to do this again. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on EM Over Easy, dropping some incredible knowledge on on-shift teaching well beyond... The, the basic concepts, a one-minute preceptor, and actually delving into how we can truly be better teachers and how we can make our learners better at what they're doing. It doesn't matter if you're at a residency program, you just have the occasional student or the occasional off-service resident. I think this is uh, absolutely invaluable advice. If you want to learn more about Jeff, he uh, is, likes to say you can nerd out a lot on some of the stuff he's done. He has some incredible articles and, and papers uh, that are online. We'll show note a few of those. You can also check him out at the teaching co-op at some of the things that he does. I've had the chance to learn from him uh, at one recently that was hosted, and, and that was amazing. And he's just an awesome guy. You can follow him on Twitter and a few other places. So, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The wine and the nachos were delicious, as was the company. <laughs> All right, listeners, we'll talk to you next time. I'm like, yeah, I was right on some nachos. Oh, there they are. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>